Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service from February 13th, 2022 from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them up to the book of Ruth. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. You got the first Samuel? You've gone too far. Last week we started a, a new study as we got through the first few verses of chapter 1 of the book of Ruth and we kind of set things up. We got an idea of what was going on. We learned about the situation that Elimelech led his family into and it's been a difficult one to say the least for his family. So in the first six verses we saw that they moved from Bethlehem uh, really against probably the will of the Lord. They moved to Moab, a place that had turned its back on the God of creation. And there, Elimelech and his two sons both died, leaving Naomi with no children, no grandchildren. But she does have two daughters-in-law named Ruth and Orpah. And as we come this morning to the next few verses and find out what Ruth's response is to all this disaster, all this trouble, we need to remind ourselves that she has gone through an awful lot, as has Ruth and Orpah. Mo, uh, Naomi, in something at least in 10 to, 10 to 11 years before the events of chapter 1, has found herself moved to a, a land she doesn't know, and she's an outsider. She has lost her husband. She has lost her children. She has gone through a great deal of pain. As we work our way through the chapter this morning, we don't want to dismiss that. Her pain, her difficulty is real. It's intense. And as we look through the, her response this morning, we do not want to look past that, that all that she has suffered. So as she's done this, she has also recognized in verse 6 that God has returned and visited the people in Bethlehem and has blessed them and has renewed them and has brought food back. The famine is over. And so recognizing that, she is on her way back home. And that's what we're going to pick up there in verse 7. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. They went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And they only said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest, each in the house of her husband. And she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, No, we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I said even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. She said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return now to your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. 
They both went until they came to Bethlehem, and when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred up because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Heavenly Father, as we go into these words this morning, as we understand the difficulty of Naomi's life and situation, I pray that you would give us compassion, but I pray that you would also teach us about how not to travel the road of bitterness. Father, would we be this morning a people who see in all circumstances your grace? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we read these verses, we are struck, I hope, by the the real tragedy and pain of what's happening to Naomi and to Ruth and to that family. But as we read these verses, we also see by the end, we get a, a very real glimpse as to where Naomi is. And let's be honest, she's in a dark place, isn't she? She is a woman who has come to be bitter. Now, bitter is a, is a word that provides perhaps a lot, of, uh, a lot of pictures and images in our mind. We perhaps have struggled with bitterness at times. We know those who have been bitter. We know the anger that goes with that. And we know the poison that that can wreak and, and wreak havoc within our soul. And Naomi this morning finds herself by the end of this chapter in a dark place. Because she's angry. The truth is, she's angry with God perhaps more than anyone else. There is an old story that came from a devotional group called Today in the Word. They tell the story about one New Year's Eve in London at the, what's called the Garrick Club. And there was a British playwright named Frederick Lonsdale. He was asked by a friend of his named Seymour Hicks to reconcile, to make amends with someone that they were angry with. The two had quarreled and had never restored their friendship. And Seymour said to his friend, you must, here on New Year's Eve, it's very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time, go now and wish him a happy new year. So Lonsdale picked out the man with whom he had had this long-running disagreement, walked up to him and said, I wish you a happy new year, but only one. (laughs) That's bitter. (laughs) I heard another story this week of an old, this is an old story of two monks who were walking down a, a pathway and they were coming across a river and there was a, an older lady there who was unable to cross on her own and they asked her, do you need some help crossing the river? And she said, yes, I do. So they got on either side of her, put, them on, put her on her shoulders and, and carried her across the river. As they got to the side, she was fine. They left her there and they proceeded on their way. And about a mile or so down the road, the, one, the monk on the left kind of looked at his clothes and went, man, my clothes are all wet and dirty and muddy now. All because we had to carry that lady across the river. A couple of miles down the road, and the monk looks at himself again and he says, man, my back is sore. My knees hurt. My shoulders not, all because we had to carry that silly little old lady across the river. Another couple miles down the road, the, the one on the left 
once again began to complain. And he said, my back is hurting me so badly, it's all because we had carried that silly, lazy woman across the river. I cannot go any further because of the pain. The first monk looked down at his partner, lying on the ground moaning. Have you wondered why I'm not complaining, he said. Your back hurts because you're still carrying the woman. I set her down five miles ago. Bitterness does that to us, doesn't it? When we hang on to those things that have caused us pain, and the pain may in fact be real, the suffering may in fact be intense, but when we hang on to that pain, bitterness has a way of poisoning our life. Now, before we get too much further with this, I want to recognize some really positive things about Naomi. She has recognized God's activity in Bethlehem. She's seen it, she's heard it, she knows that God's at work, and she wants to return. It's very possible it was never her idea to move to begin with. In fact, it probably was Elimelech's. Naomi has probably found herself at the mercy of what her husband wanted to do. She was probably content there in Bethlehem, but she has found her, her, her husband rooted the family up and, and moved them to Moab. She may not have wanted to go there, but because she's there, she has suffered. But she also knows enough to attribute to God the good things. She has seen in Bethlehem that, that food is there and she wants to go back. She clearly loves and has a great relationship with and a great affection for her daughters-in-law. They clearly all love each other. Naomi's name means pleasant. And I have very little doubt that that describes exactly who Naomi was. She was a loving, caring, pleasant woman who those around her loved and cared for as well. I think it's very obvious that Ruth and Orpah have a really deep, loving relationship with Naomi. I have no doubt she was a positive individual and that they loved her a great deal. She even wishes there in verse 8, she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you. She wishes for them. And that's a word hesed. It's a word loving kindness in the Old Testament. It's a word that has all kinds of incredibly cool things wrapped up in it. And she wishes for them God's loving kindness. So she knows that God has that. She knows that God can be, in fact be loving kindness. And she has gratitude for them. So all these things I think are true of Naomi. But just because Naomi was at one point a pleasant lady who is even a loving woman, because she even recognizes the activity of God at times, does not mean that she is immune from the poison of bitterness. When Naomi tries to send her two daughters-in-law back, she says to them that, first of all, they're going to be better provided for if they go back home. And there was, a, there was a, a degree to which that was probably true in that day and age uh, for a, a widow like Naomi who had no male descendants, for those two women who had been married to those two sons. It was probably in their best interest in a very logical, worldly, practical way at that point in time for them to go back to Moab, find new husbands, and that way be protected and be cared for because they would have no way on their own of providing for themselves. They were going to live the rest of their lives at the mercy, at the, at the, uh, on the goodwill of others. They were going to be charity cases moving forward. That was as far as they knew. And so Naomi's thinking to herself, I'm a widow. I'm not going to get remarried. Now I have two widows with me. We're going to have a hard time getting enough food for one of us to eat, much less all three. It'd be best if you guys go back home. And eventually Orpah will agree to do that. But Ruth wants to stay. Now, understand this, it may well have been better for those two young ladies to, to go back home to Moab, in, in a, at least in a material sense. 
but it probably also would have been easier for Naomi. Because now she didn't have to worry about three mouths to feed. She only has to worry about herself. On top of that, we talked last week about the relationship between Israel and the Moabites. It was not good, to say the least. And so if two Moabite widows show up in Bethlehem, there's no reason for Naomi to expect anybody to be anything but rude. There's no reason to expect that they're going to be taken care of. So it's going to be not only hard on Ruth and Orpah, but Naomi knows it's going to be hard on her. It really will be easier for Naomi as well if they go back home. So it's in their best interest in her own mind. She thinks it's in their best interest, but it's also she probably believes in her best interest if they just go back and go their separate ways, the relationship notwithstanding. It's only going to make her life harder if they return with her. Orpah, of course, does go back home. And just to give, give another glimpse as to who, where Naomi's at, for all the positives she has, she also tells Ruth and Orpah that they need to, well, she tells Ruth, listen, your sister-in-law has gone back to her own gods. You should do the same. Now, we don't have time this morning to delve into that, but it's a glimpse that we're, for all the positive that's going on in Naomi's life, she's, she's struggling here with what God can and will do and maybe what's best. Naomi is bitter. She says it straightforward there in, in verse 20, and she says in verse 13 and 21 of this chapter that it's God who's at fault. She's there in verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. In verse 21, the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. As you read these, it sounds a whole lot like Job. Job, more than once throughout that book of the scriptures we looked at a couple years ago, Job, it says, complains in the bitterness of his heart towards what God has done to him. Job sees the circumstances of his life and says, God has afflicted this and he's done it wrongly. I'm a victim here. And Job says that repeatedly. Of course, Job doesn't know the whole story. Now, I don't know what all Naomi knows, but if I had to guess, and, I, and I'm just, I, I'm, I realize I'm, I'm speculating here to a certain degree, but if I'm giving Naomi the benefit of the doubt, I think this is what's happened. I think Elimelech, Mr. God is my king, against his king, moved to Moab. Maybe even against Naomi's advice. I don't know that for sure, but Naomi probably feels she got dragged to Moab against her will. Knowing that really wasn't probably what God wanted. And the result was, not only her husband has died, but her two sons have died. And on top of that, her two sons married to these two daughters-in-law for 10 years and no kids. That's a clear sign in that day and age that God's not happy with something. That's how they would have understood that. And so she sees all these events, and she's got in her mind probably this. I'm suffering because of what my husband did. I'm suffering because of what they did. I'm the victim of someone else's mistakes. Now, I wonder how many times we find ourselves in that situation. No? Have you ever found yourself in the situation where, listen, I don't deserve this. I'm the victim of what somebody else has done. Now, we can point to probably all manner of situations. It might be small. It might be big. It might be something that we think really was just a minor thing, but we've kind of held on to it. We may think that our life has been destroyed by the actions of somebody else and that we're just the victims. And perhaps in many ways, Naomi is. But she's angry, and she's bitter, and she's pointed her finger at God. Job did that. By the way, 
Adam and Eve did that too. You remember that whole thing, that whole conversation in the garden? Well, yeah, I know we messed up, but, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was that serpent guy. It was that serpent thing. He's the one that caused all this problem. And then Adam, pull, of course, pulls the real winner. Uh, God, you're the one that gave me Eve. Yeah, that was a bad Valentine's Day. By the way, just a little note, guys, in case you forgot. Tomorrow, Valentine's Day, just a, just a little, you know. I know the Super Bowl's today, but you can't use that as an excuse tomorrow. I'm just letting you know. That's just a free one for your own benefit. All right. She's angry. She's bitter. She even goes so far as to say, I left full. Now, by the way, why did they leave? Because they was a famine. They weren't. <laughs> she said, I left full and I came back empty. So what is bitterness? Hebrews chapter 12. I want to take you to this this passage this morning hebrews chapter 12 the author of this book gives us a glimpse into a little bit of of bitterness hebrews chapter 12 verse um, 15 see to it that no one comes short of the grace of god that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it it may and by it many be defiled the author of Hebrews talks about this root of bitterness and that by that root, many will be, can be defiled. Now, here's the thing about a root of bitterness. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a farmer. If a plant, if a house plant stays alive at our house, it's a minor miracle. And that's the artificial ones. No, Angel's better than I am. I, this is not my strength. But I do know enough of, to know this. Roots are where? Under the ground. Do you see the roots when you're just walking around and things are growing? No, you don't see them. I also know this. Um, The water, the nutrients from the soil, how do they get to the plant? Through the roots. So everything that that plant needs to survive comes through, is filtered by the roots. So if you have a root of bitterness, let's look at this analogy. Here's what that means. It means that everything that happens in our life, the good stuff that we need, even the bad stuff, all the stuff that comes into our lives gets filtered through bitterness. Now we begin to see the danger in bitterness when we let that root take hold. Now bitterness can be tricky to see. Because the truth is, it doesn't always make itself visible. It's not a symptom. The truth is, you can be bitter for a while and not even know it. Maybe be hanging on something you're not even realizing you're hanging on to. Not even be openly angry. It's just down there at the bottom filtering everything that happens. Many, someone will say, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm not a hateful person. But there's an underlying problem that everything that happens to you is being interpreted and understood through bitterness. It's the source. So when something good happens to you, if there's bitterness, if there's a root of bitterness, that something good will be filtered through that idea of of bitter. It'll shade. It'll color. The the little story we told about the monks a while ago. 
Part of the progression of the story is, oh, just close your because I had to help that lady cross the river. Then next time she, he was, she was kind of lazy, silly, and then she was silly and lazy. Every time it got worse, didn't it? Because that's what bitterness does. It makes it worse over a period of time. It shapes and forms and changes how we perceive everybody and everything, and ultimately even how, for Naomi in particular, how she saw and understood God. Now, you can't see it happening. You don't always recognize it. it. It can be difficult to point out. But when bitterness has that root in our lives, whatever the source is, Hebrews 12 talks about how it can poison or stain or defile. That word defile there in verse 15 has, this idea, has the idea of staining or tainting something. Uh, I mean, several years ago, I'd, it, you know, I don't know when tie-dye became a thing. Have you all ever owned anything tie-dye? How many of y'all have currently something tie-dye? All right, cool. All right. We, we decided, uh, uh, oh, it's, it's been eight, nine, ten years ago, we did a youth trip, a youth mission trip at our previous church there in Georgia, and instead of doing the standard, standard t-shirts, we decided to make our own tie-dye mission trip t-shirts. I, I actually still do have mine. I don't wear it much anymore. But you want, a, you want a group to stand out doing some public ministry? Have 40 people wearing tie-dye t-shirts. That causes a, people, oh, look at that. They're right, hippies. Um, and, you, and you, of course, you, you tie in, and once you put that clothes, once you put that shirt in there, there's no, oops, I'm going to erase that. <laughs> once it's dyed, the stain's there, isn't it? And what he's talking about here in chapter 12 of Hebrews is that what bitterness does is it stains, it taints, it gets into the, it gets into something and it won't let go. It shapes it from that day forward. Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher in Memphis for many years says that bitterness blows out the candle of joy and leaves the soul in darkness. Another pastor once said about bitterness, it's like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Bitterness kills, it poisons, it stains. It's underground, it's easy to hide, it's easy to camouflage. And seldom will you find someone who says, oh yeah, I'm bitter. You, you won't find that very much. It's under ground by the way bitterness will affect you not just spiritually it will affect you in every way possible it will affect you emotionally it'll affect you physically it's an acid that destroys the very container with which it's in hebrews 12 14 says this pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the lord and then see to it that no one, again, comes short of the grace of God. If we were to look at that larger picture of what's going on in Hebrews chapter 12, we would see a, an issue of faith. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is what people call the Hall of Fame of Faith. And before that, the whole book of Hebrews is talking about the superiority of the work of Christ over other things we may trust or put our hope in, especially our own works, our own efforts, our own deeds. And in that context the author of Hebrews is pointing out that ultimately when we trust our own works, when we think our salvation is up to us, when we are based upon our lives, upon all that we think we can achieve on our own, we will find ourselves in danger of being bitter. Because there will be failure, there will be betrayal, there will be hurt, there will be pain, there will be disappointment in us and in others, or maybe even in our perception of what God thinks 
uh, we think God has to do. Because if I think, if I have convinced myself that if I just do this, 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 and this, if I pray right, if I attend right, if I give the right amount of money, if I do A, B, C, and D, then God has to do this for me. And it doesn't work out that way. What happens? Bitterness. So this is all part of a larger conversation happening in Hebrews. And he says, we have to beware of that bitterness because it will taint and stain and destroy everything in our lives. And Naomi has become bitter. And she is angry at God. And by the way, when we become angry and bitter towards someone, is it possible to trust them? Probably not. It's hard to trust someone who you think has wronged you repeatedly, isn't it? Do you see the danger that Naomi's in here? She's become bitter. Even outside of Scripture, even in groups like Psychology Today, which is by no means a Christian biblically based group, even they have recognized the consequences of bitterness. They say in their own material that it will prolong your emotional pain, bitterness will. It may even exaggerate it. It will give you long-lasting anxiety and depression. Psychology Today goes on to say it will prevent you from experiencing the joy of your current life. It will create and, de- and deepen distrust, and not just in the one person you're angry with, but in everybody that you know. It leads you to doubt. It leads you to, to uh, cutting off relationships with other people. It compromises your integrity. It will rob you of, of physical and emotional energy. It will undermine your health. It blinds you from recognizing your own responsibility in those actions. It keeps you in bondage. This is the words of psychology today, a secular, non-biblical a group, even they recognize the poison and the death that comes from bitterness. For Naomi, here's what's happening. She has encouraged, she's really pushed Ruth and Orpah to leave. Orpah has done so. But Ruth hangs in there, literally clings to Naomi, and then we see what I think must be some of the most profoundly beautiful words in all of Scripture. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die. Man, what a profound thing. And I want, you to, I want you to read, look at Naomi's response. She said no more to her. Now, again, Naomi and Ruth clearly love each other. There's a deep affection for, the, for them. But Ruth makes this profound, deep commitment to, to care for Naomi. And Naomi's response is, to walk towards Bethlehem and not say anything. I don't know what took place. I don't, we don't even know how far down the road to Bethlehem this whole conversation took place. But Naomi's response is not exactly perhaps what we might think. It wasn't a, 
It wasn't more weeping. It wasn't a thank you. There wasn't more hugging. No Hallmark movie plot was moving, was coming at this point. It's just turn and go. How could someone say something like that and have the other person just turn around and keep going? Naomi, in her bitterness, in her distrust of even God at this point, has it caused her to miss the grace and provision of God? Naomi has in front of her Ruth's the instrument by which God is going to provide for her. Naomi doesn't realize that yet. But because of her bitterness, she has missed the meaning of what Ruth is doing. In fact, if you, if you don't catch this, when she is in Bethlehem and she tells them, I went out full, the Lord brought me back empty. Can you imagine Ruth having said all that she said, hanging out there with Naomi? And Naomi has Ruth by her side and said, yeah, I came back with nothing. How big does Ruth feel at that point in time? Now, does Naomi mean, is her intention to belittle and demean Ruth? No, I, I don't think it is. In fact, I think it's probably the farthest thing from her mind. I think she actually loves and has a great deal of affection for Ruth. But in her bitterness, she is beginning to do what? Her bitterness is doing exactly what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It's going to defile and stain many. It means the person who's bitter doesn't just hurt themselves. They begin to do what? Hurt the people around them. I don't think Naomi means to, to disrespect or to ignore Ruth whatsoever. But the bitterness has so hardened her, she's so tainted her, that she's not even recognizing the pain that she's causing those around her. This is the cost of bitterness. By the way, even at the end of this chapter, when they get there, and you can understand this, when, when, when Naomi shows up with Ruth, the whole town's a buzz. Uh, historians will tell you that at this point in time in history, Bethlehem is probably a small village of not more than five, six, seven hundred people. London's big compared to ancient Bethlehem. And so you can imagine that Naomi, after having been gone for more than a decade, shows up and it causes quite the stir. That would be an expectation. And they're buzzing about her. But the truth is, Naomi doesn't want anything to do with it. She's actually irritated. You can, you can almost hear the irritation in her voice. And don't even call me by Naomi anymore. God has worked and afflicted me. and put, I'm, I'm just bitter. Call me bitter. The only mention that Ruth at this point is in verse 22. And it seemed to be done by the narrator in just such a way to point out that Ruth is an outsider. Ruth doesn't acknowledge as coming into, into, into Bethlehem uh, with Ruth as an equal. But, oh, Naomi's here. Wow, Naomi. Oh, and there's that foreign woman over there. In fact, it's Ruth the Moabitess. She's from Moab. It's a case we didn't already know that. <laughs> it repeats it. And why does it repeat it? Because it wants us to know that being from Moab is not a good thing. And so what we end chapter 1 with is despite this profound, beautiful proclamation from Ruth, we still in the chapter with Naomi bitter and Ruth nothing more 
than an outsider. And the grace of God has brushed right by and they didn't even recognize it. Now, this does not mean, by the way, as we know the story, perhaps, that God will stop being gracious. In fact, the whole power of the story is that no matter how many mistakes she makes, no matter how many times God's people are unfaithful, no matter how many times we miss what God is doing, God hangs in there with us, and He is faithful. God can use, does use, even today will continue to use evil and even the disobedient actions of others to reveal to us Himself. The tragedy of what Naomi is experiencing, at least right now in chapter 1, is that the pain that she's had to endure will be even harder because she has missed God's grace. What a tragedy to experience the hard stuff and then to miss God's grace at the end of it. The things that redeem the hard stuff is when you see and meet and encounter God's grace on the other end. That's what makes those things bearable, even worthwhile, even perhaps something that God will use to profit us in the long run. What a tragedy to experience the pain and suffering of sin only to avoid God's salvation. The love of God is not wasted in the loving us when He loves us in the middle of pain. It's wasted when we run away from it because of our pain. But, spoiler alert, Naomi will not be able to outrun the grace and the redeeming loving kindness of God. Maybe this morning you've seen yourself in a couple different situations. Maybe you've seen yourself in Ruth. Maybe you're going, I'm trying to help someone. I'm trying to love someone, but they just don't seem to appreciate it. Hang in there. Maybe you feel like the outsider in Bethlehem. Maybe you feel like, the one, oh, that's the Moabitess. <laughs> we all know what it's like to be in the room and not be in the room, Right? Maybe that's where you feel like you are this morning. Maybe there's a little bit of Naomi. Maybe there's a little bit of bitterness. And maybe there is a, um, there's a little spiritual surgery that needs to be done to get rid of a root that's poisoning everything else. I do know this. Chapter 1 is not the end of the story. <laughs> that's a really great thing. But I do know this, that perhaps this morning there might be some of us hanging on to bitterness. And it might be not just affecting us, but it might be poisoning everything that we experience. And it might even be poisoning the people around us. And it might be this morning that what God wants to do is to get out a spiritual shovel and to uproot that bitterness and to cut it off so that we can truly see and worship and adore and live the grace of God.